Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. No let up in union activity around the country. First off, the UAW organizing in Warren, Ohio. An election at Home Depot. Trader Joe's working on a CBA. And then there's the story of Starbucks. Today on the show, women leading in construction. And we check in with the Ohio State Building Trades. Welcome to the Thursday, November 3rd edition of America's Workforce, where... We are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Well, over the weekend, the Trades Women Build Nations Conference took place in Las Vegas, Nevada. First time in person due to the uh, pandemic. This is an organization that was founded back in 1979 as a grassroots support organization. The mission? Pretty simple. Outreach, recruitment, retention, and leadership development for women in blue-collar skilled crafts. And no better person joining us to talk about that on the show today is Gina Walsh. She's been on the show a number of times. She comes to us from the Insulators, Heat and Frost Insulators. And her background is pretty fascinating. She entered into an apprenticeship with the Heat and Frost Insulators, Local 1, This was back in December of 79. She is the first woman to do so. Earlier that year, she had worked on a referendum in the state of Missouri where she caught the political bug. And boy, did she ever. Although she started her career as a mechanical insulator, she remained very involved in politics. She served eight years in the Missouri House, eight years in the Missouri Senate, Three of those years, she served as the Senate Minority Leader, working with her caucus to beat back anti-prevailing wage bills, right-to-work bills, and other anti-labor initiatives. And then, April 2013, Gina was the first woman elected to president of the Missouri State Building Trades. Then you go to 2018. Boy, she found herself in the middle of a fight. The state legislature once again, tried passing right to work, this time, this time, attempting to enshrine right to work in the state constitution. Pretty much what's going on right now in the state of Tennessee. That's what they're trying to do. It's on the ballot next Tuesday. Well, in Missouri, (laughs) they beat it back. And in 2019, After terming out of the Missouri Senate, she joined the staff of the Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Trades as the Deputy Director of the Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust, and she works along with Director Pete Almini, who we feature on the show each and every month, and that's all to promote the mechanical insulation industry and the men and women who work at it. And at the time, she was assigned to represent her international on NABTU's women's committee and there gina has worked with her sisters to promote women in the trades and find answers to the challenges facing women in non-traditional employment she's a fighter and she is the perfect person to talk about what happened over the weekend from what i hear 
heard, it was quite amazing. And a lot of people were glad because after three years, they were doing this virtually. And, you know, they got a couple things done. But when you're in person, it's a whole different ballgame. So uh, she'll talk about that and more and the future of the Trades Women Build Nations Conference. Mike Nisley will be joining us later on the show. He is the Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Ohio State Building Trades website. Real simple, ohiostatebuildingtrades.org. And uh, we're going to talk about Central Ohio, the building boom that's going on. My gosh, you got Google, Facebook, Amazon, the Wexner Medical Center, hotels. They uh, added on to a Hilton in uh, Columbus that has, I believe, like a thousand rooms now. There's, there's a tower. It's amazing what uh, they were able to uh, put together. Also, we're going to talk about uh, hydrogen. Saw this recently. New Point Gas announced it has established what they call Trillium H2 Power LLC, which will be headquartered in Columbus. And this uh, entity will own and operate clean hydrogen energy production and sustainable manufacturing facilities, which is all going to be built by organized labor. We like that. Then we're going to get into some politics here. Not the races. This is a piece of legislation. It's called uh, House Bill 235, the High Hazard Training Certification Act, which in a nutshell would replace flexible business discretion in Ohio's oil refineries with the government, mandating them to hire 80% of their contracted or subcontracted construction workers from apprenticeship programs by 2024. So they're pushing for the unions, and for good reason. Safety, when you're talking about oil and oil refineries, very dangerous work, very dangerous work. And uh, the Petroleum Institute is saying, hey, you know what, we, we, don't need, we don't need to do this right now. Let's take a... Let's take a pause on this. But uh, Mike Nisley testified. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about safety provisions here. Safety for the workers who build and maintain the oil refinery. So he's obviously in favor of it. So will it happen? Again, that would be House Bill 235. That's why we're bringing Mike to the show today to see uh, the future of that legislation. Mike Nisley on behalf of the Ohio State Building Trades Council. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The UAW, which is actually the International Union of United Automobile, Aerospace, and Agricultural Implement Workers of America. You probably didn't know that. Better just call them the UAW. They filed a petition on Monday for a union election with the Cleveland Office of the National Labor Relations Board on behalf of some 900 workers at Ultium Cells, located in Warren, Ohio. Now, Ultium Cells, which manufactures batteries for electric vehicles, previously indicated a willingness to recognize the majority will of the workers based on authorization cards. This is according to the UAW. 
I like that. I'm sure the UAW is pretty happy. Ray Curry is president. He said a majority of the workers have signed cards authorizing the UAW to represent them. Make no mistake, he said, whether it is by card check or union election, these workers will be members of the UAW. That's a great move, especially for that part of Ohio. Youngstown, Warren, Lordstown, an area that has been devastated, devastated by trade deals over the years. That was the steel capital, along with Pittsburgh and Cleveland in years past. And uh, many of those jobs have uh, gone away. I mean, look at the Lordstown, especially GM. They used to uh, manufacture the uh, Chevy Cobalt and also the uh, Chevy Cruze. They had three shifts working there at one time. That's all gone. Voting commences today in a representation election at a Home Depot location. This is in Philadelphia, where employees will decide whether to form the Home Improvement Giants' first unionized store. The election petition was filed back in September, and the potential bargaining unit includes around 260 employees. The organizers claim to have secured more than 100 signed authorization cards. The workers are seeking to join Home Depot Workers United, representing the latest in a recent surge of independent unionization campaigns. We should get the results this Saturday. Trader Joe's is set to begin negotiating a collective bargaining agreement later this week with Trader Joe's United to govern employees at the store. This is in Hadley, Massachusetts, which is the first of the company's locations to unionize, as well as another location in Minneapolis, which voted to unionize two weeks later. A representative of the union expressed excitement at the prospect of sitting down at the bargaining table, but but it still remains to be seen whether the company is actually interested in making a good-faith effort to secure that agreement. Anybody that works on these knows all too well on how tedious that process is meanwhile labor relations agitation continues at the nation's largest coffee chain just this week nlrb region three filed a sweeping complaint against starbucks corporation adding to the company's already substantial stockpile of more than 20 existing board complaints well here's the latest which consolidates several cases based upon charges filed by Starbucks Workers United, SWU, contends that the coffee giant committed various unfair labor practices across the uh, company's New York locations, including surveilling employee activities, granting benefits, threatening the loss of benefits. They'll give the benefits to those who stay out of the union, and then they'll take away the benefits if you're going to unionize and retaliating against union activity by reducing employee hours, discharging employees, closing stores, including an Ithaca location that Starbucks permanently shuttered over the summer after the union prevailed in a representation election and the company, and the employees rather, subsequently launched a strike, the first to be closed following a union victory. The complaint 
further alleges that the company unlawfully refused to bargain with the union at two stores for which the union had been certified as the employee's exclusive representative. With respect to remedies, the complaint seeks an order requiring Starbucks to restore the operation of the, of the stores that close and to make the effective employees whole for all temporary closures, along with reinstatement and back pay. This has been a fight. This has been a fight, and uh, it's a good thing the National Labor Relations Board is uh, holding their feet to the fire on this one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Trades Women Build Nations Conference, which occurred a couple of days ago in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you got the word union in there. And keep in mind, if you like a show, please share that show. And sometimes they end up to the international, and then we get more downloads. We do appreciate that. And keep in mind, all of our shows are archived on awfpodcast.com. Right now, let's go to St. Louis, Missouri, and join Gina Walsh. Gina is Deputy Director of the Heat and Frost Insulators, LMCT. That's Mechanical Insulators, lmct.com. She works with uh, one of our regulars here, Pete Almini. But over the weekend, she was busy, busy, busy at the Trades Women Build Nations Conference, which for the first time in uh, three years was done in person. 
Gina Walsh, welcome back to the show. And my first question to you, how was the turnout? And uh, talk to me all about it. Go ahead. It was phenomenal, Flash. We had over 700 more attendees than we had, than we had, had in the past. And we knew there would be great interest because we hadn't been together in a couple of years. Uh, our virtual conferences were always well attended, but this this was phenomenal. There were tradeswomen everywhere, and they were so excited. The program, the program that we had for them, the only complaint I heard was not enough workshops. We had two workshop sessions, so the only way to achieve that and to remedy that is to add another day onto the conference because there's other things that the women are involved in that nobody wants to give up. On Friday, they have a day of service where they came together this year and they pack backpacks for kids in need in the community and schools to help uh-huh. out the teachers, help out the community. Saturday morning kicks off uh, the plenary sessions and we have speakers from all over the country. We, had, um, we even had a video from the vice president, which was, it was extraordinary to see the reaction of the young women there. I'm never, I I am always amazed at how excited they get. I don't know why I am because every year (laughs) the excitement builds. It is so fun to observe. And uh, the male allies that attend, the first time they come, I've received so many phone calls this week telling me how phenomenal this conference was, how energizing it was, and how excited they were to be there. We even we had um, workshops that were geared toward that toward them. There were two of them. One was be a, how to be a male ally, and the other one was be that one guy that tells you how you can help your sisters on the job site. I I, I can't speak highly enough about the women on that committee that put all this together. They work hard and they work on it all year. I think we started last early last spring. And we were still working on it Tuesday last week. We converged on Vegas last Tuesday and Wednesday, most of us, and got everything organized, made sure all our T's were crossed and our I's were dotted. Saturday after the plenary session, they have a banner parade where the girls just show, the women just show their uh, unionism and their excitement about being a member of a union and how important and how proud they are of it. And they parade through the streets of whatever city we are, we're in. And this time we were in Vegas. We were able to parade outside of the Paris Hotel, go down the Strip, cross over the bridge, run through the Bellagio, and come out on the other side. Parade, <laughs> parade was led this year by uh, President McGarvey from the National Buildings, Building Trades Association and President Liz Schuler from the AFL-CIO, which they're two of our rock stars. Uh, Liz, first woman elected to that position, and when she speaks, these girls get so wound up. It's it's just an excitement and an element in the air that's difficult to describe. Yeah, I you know I'm already excited about next year. Next year will be in D.C. and the following year it'll be in New Orleans. But I I just can't wait. Till uh, we get to D.C. and we do this in our nation's capital. Um, That's cool that uh, Liz Schuler was able to speak to them because she comes from the trades. She she started yes, at the IBEW. Yeah, she comes yeah, from the electricians. Yeah, she comes. Yeah, cool. it's 
it's really cool. And she's such a downer. You know, sometimes people look at the people they look up to thinking that she's just a plain speaking human being. Yeah. You know, Liz says it how it is. And, uh, She's a good-hearted person, hardworking. She's like one of the women that go to this conference. So, Gina, you said there were, what, over 3,000 that registered, and then you had a lot of walk-ups. You, you don't have the, the total count right now, but I'm just wondering if you could share with us the demographics. I'm sure you had a, a certain age group or various ages, uh, various backgrounds, races. Um, can you give us a snapshot of... Who showed up at the conference this past weekend? Everybody. Everybody (laughs) showed up. There were women of all ages. There were journey women. There were uh, apprentices. Their male allies were there. I believe we had every international president was in attendance. I was so proud of my craft. Our entire executive board was there, save for one international president our vice president who had a prior engagement. It says a lot. It says a lot. It sends a message to these members that they're being heard and that their leadership respects them and wants to help them, wants to see them do well in the crafts. Yeah. You know, and after, after the parade, each craft breaks into a caucus of their own craft and they address issues In our case, it was the first time many of our members have met our new leadership team. And I think it went really well. I was excited that our male allies within my craft were excited to be there. We had a lot of business agents there. Uh, I received a call from one of my business agents yesterday. And uh, he said, I just wanted to tell you how excited I was to be there. Mm -hmm. He had brought four women from St. Louis he said, I never thought it was like that. And, you know, and a lot of those guys had been out there in Vegas for another meeting. So o- over a week in Vegas is a long time. Oh, yeah. But he said, no, nope. he said that ended the trip well. He said, I enjoyed every minute of it. So what happens now? Is there follow-up after a conference like this? I mean, you've been at this a long time. I'm just wondering what's what's. Step. You mentioned that there's going to be conferences, you know, in D.C. and New Orleans and all that. But as far as the participants, do you work with them or does there the is. the conference work with them to uh, to kind of guide them through the uh, the trades? There is a follow up. Uh, we ask that they fill out a survey every year, and today I'll be sending out to the uh, members in my group an email reminding them with a link asking them to fill out the survey. And we want to know. We want to know what we did right. We want to know what we did wrong. We want to know how we can improve and make it better next year. We want to know if it's too short, too long, too many work, you know, too many subjects within the workshop days. We want to know answers to all of that. And of course, we're always a resource to the women in our trades. Uh, we all hand out our business cards. I've received several calls about, uh, the subjects that I sat on panels for already this week, and it's, what, Thursday? And we're only home since Monday or Tuesday. So they're they're excited, they're energized, and they're ready to get to work. You know, a lot of places don't have mentoring groups for women, and that's one of the things I've been getting calls on. How do you start a mentoring group? And it's, it's really organic. It starts itself. It starts with two or three women, and it grows from there. 
So uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see their excitement, the participants, and uh, watch it grow. Right. You know, we had uh, in about five, six years ago, we started a program in St. Louis, a pilot called Lean In, which was a mentoring group where tradeswomen can get together. And this was developed by um, the Facebook folks that always had Lean In, but they developed a program strictly for building tradeswomen. So that that has been piloted across the country and in Canada, I believe. And those groups are still going. They're small circles of maybe 10 women that get together at their convenience once a month or every other week to discuss issues that are affecting them on the job site and help help each other find resolutions to any problems they may have. So lots of our programs have grown organically, and I, I just think it's fantastic. For as long as I've been involved, I've never seen anything like this tradeswomen committee and the effect of that, the things we come up with, how it affects other women. Right now we're working on a pilot program for childcare in uh, the Wisconsin area. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm excited about that. That's one of the biggest hurdles to uh, oh, yeah. retaining, retaining members. We've talked yeah. about this on your show before. So, yeah, it it was. Uh, I'm still uh, riding that roller coaster of excitement coming home from the uh, conference. I could tell in your voice. Gina Walsh joining us on our live line, Deputy Director of the Mechanical Insulators, LMCT. LMCT.com is the website, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. We'll continue the conversation. I always say it starts with a story, and there's many stories out there. Gina has one. She'll share that with us next. Mike Nisley will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the Ohio State Building Trades Council. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. 
Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings, so keep them coming. Before we go back to uh, Gina Walsh, got to give a shout-out here to the retail workers affiliated with the food and commercial workers. They uh, joined forces some years back, and uh, on on Halloween, (laughs) they posted a meme. On Facebook and Twitter, they're asking that you uh, share it as well. So just Google UFCW or RWDSU. And they said, there's nothing spookier to management than an organized workplace. (laughs) (laughs) I had to share that with you. I love that. Lots of creativity among our union brothers and sisters. And they know there's a lot of organizing going on right now. Management is like shaking in their boots right now. Let's go back to uh, St. Louis, Missouri and rejoin Gina Walsh on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators. And also, we're talking about the Trades Women Build Nations Conference, which for the first time in three years was held in person. It uh, happened over the past weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is an organization that was founded back in 1979. And I I think that's kind of interesting, Gina, because that's when you entered your apprenticeship with the Heat and Frost Insulators. That year was 1979, the first woman to do so. I know you told me off the air, you, you, you share, if you can just share your story real quickly with us, because I want to get back into the uh, Trades Women Build Nations Conference. We get new listeners every day. I mean, the show is really growing. We're almost in the top 10% of all podcasts in America. And there's a lot of females that are listening and thinking, you know what? I think I might want to go into the trades because this $15 an hour job ain't paying the bills. Gina, I know that was rough for you in 79, but look at you now. I mean, come on. <laughs> Deputy Director of the Heat and Frost Insulators, LMCT. Things can happen when you put your mind to it. And obviously, you you know, you took your punches back then, but you survived. Can you kind of... Share that story with us real quick. Sure. I started in December of 79, and I was the first in my area, in the region here in the St. Louis area. And, you know, that happened to a lot of women. You go on the job site, and you're the one and only. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have the resources uh, that women have now. There was no Trade Women's Build Nations. There was no Trade Women's Committee. So when I had questions, I just, like, kind of, muddled through and figured it out myself and i'm glad that there's resources now but i started out with the insulators and i served my apprenticeship and it was a great paying job you know four years into it after my apprenticeship i got married right after i graduated apprenticeship school we started our family and three years later my husband lost a really good paying job and we were fortunate that i had the job i had that helped sustain our family until he landed back on his feet. If I would have still been working at a bank, I'd have been making about $6 an hour, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that was the average wage about the, around then in 1979 for somebody working in jobs like that, working as a 
clerk in a bank or working in an office. And I didn't like being confined like that. This is a fantastic place for me to be. College wasn't for everybody. I was one of those people that college wasn't for. But as my career progressed, I was always interested in politics. I ended up running for public office. I ran for three different offices. I was successful with every one of them. And that was because of the support of my union brothers and sisters. They were right there with me on the campaign trail, knocking doors and um, going to uh, meetings and spreading the word about how important it is to have a building trades member in public office. And I always drift to that when I'm on a panel. And I did this last week. I ended up, what's the most important thing that I want anybody to take away from Trade Women Build Nations was that the midterms are next week and that everybody needs to get out and vote and that you know, young women need to be running for school boards and fire boards and running for their state houses as delegates and representatives. Because if you don't run, your message doesn't get out. You know, if you're successful mm-hmm. and you can be a part of the solution, then you need to do that because it supports other young men and women, young apprentices. And we we have more work than we have ever had before. We need a trained workforce. And that's what the unions bring. The unions bring a trained workforce at no expense to the taxpayers. There you go. That's what it's all about. Well, Missouri was lucky to have you because uh, when you were uh, in the House and the Senate, there was a time when uh, right to work, they wanted to enshrine that in the Constitution, and you fought it back. And that, that same thing is happening right now. I'm sure you're familiar what's what going on in uh, Tennessee they Tennessee. want to do that yeah, yeah that's that's on the ballot next Tuesday we've talked about that in depth and uh, that's a fight it's a fight no matter what happens but your story is very compelling and let's get back to the uh, trades women build nations conference last week you mentioned at the end of the last segment about child care and I know the unions are grappling with this I know the iron workers for one they got involved in that some years ago and uh, they worked it out with uh, women and it, they've they've increased their female membership as a result so with that being said I, I maybe you could share with our listeners some of the discussions uh, with child care and beyond child care there's got to be a number of issues that oh, are there kind is. of there. yeah that are that women are like concerned about i, I like this idea i want to make a lot of money but can you fill it but in from there gina child care maternity leave no, nobody should choose between a job and raising a family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the work we do, there's no maternity leave. Now there is now. A lot of the crafts are starting new programs. The iron workers, you mentioned the iron workers. They were one of the first to do it, to have a, a maternity leave program. And it was all because their president went to, uh, the president of that international, went to trade women's build nations, and it was brought up in the caucus with the women in his craft and they went to work and they developed a program that serves them across the country i heard the the painters now have uh have a program a lot of the ibew members across the country in canada have a program it's it's uh it's coming it's coming we're going to have it everywhere but nobody wants to work in a place where they don't feel welcome or it's not conducive to their uh family life yeah so we're developing programs across the board that help us you know finding the women used to be hard 
recruitment, and it still is. But the retention is even more difficult. Retention's hard. You get there and you have to choose. You know, I don't have anybody to drop my child off at daycare, and daycare hours are not... uh, they're not built for somebody that works construction. If you work in construction and you're working overtime, that job could be a two hour drive away. So yeah. that not, doesn't mean that you're doing a 10 hour day. It means you're doing a 14 hour day because you need a couple hours to get there. Then you work your 10 hours. You need a couple hours to get home. And a lot of daycares do not by either state law or just by virtue of their business, do not allow you to leave your child in their facility for that period of time. So we're trying to develop programs that will answer those questions for young parents that are in the trades and trying to relieve some some of that stress. You know, the other thing about uh, daycare, and I just learned this, uh, because of the world that we live in today, you have to have a designated person to pick up your child. Like, obviously, the mom, she would be picking up the kid and maybe the dad, but if that person or a relative, say you're late for work, say maybe an uncle, hey, I'll pick up Joey. If he is not registered with that daycare center, they're not going to let him in. They're not, I he's mean, not that, on the list. Yeah, he's not, yeah. He's not, and that's the same way in our schools. And I know because I'm on a list for four little munchkins here in St. Louis. You know, when my kids need me to, to help out in that area. but And that's a safety thing. Right, and I I think it's great, but you know what? It's it's very stressful to a parent that might be two hours away that can't get to their child. So we're trying to we're fi- trying to find ways to alleviate that stress and come up with programs that help our members and make life just a little bit easier for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gina, to your point, things have really changed, and there's a lot of resources out there. Um, Going back to your story, I mean, you got involved in the trades over 40 years ago. I have to ask you, when did did you see things starting to change? Uh, Because of all the things we addressed on the show here today, there's obviously more women in the workforce, and there's a demand for the trades right now. But the Trades Women Build Nations Conference that was developed by NAB2 because they saw a need to reach out to women. But I'm just wondering, I mean, you you were working all this time here. What kind of pushed this into the direction that we're in today? Do you have an answer to that? Well, when I first started attending conferences, it was um, developed in California by the California Building Trades, and it grew from there, and then NAB2 in 2012, I think, took it over nationally. And I was their keynote speaker that year. And I was very nervous to speak, and there was only like six to 700 people at that conference. That's how much it's grown since then. We had over 3,000 registrants, and we still don't have the numbers from this conference overall yet. So it's really grown, and we've gone from speakers that were in the state house like me to national speakers. We've had uh, messages from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, from Kamala Harris. Uh, She spoke as a senator there at one time and sent a message as vice president of the United States. So we grow every conference. We even grew when we weren't meeting in person, which to me is extraordinary. There's lots of good things that have come out of this and lots of good ideas and things that will that move tradeswomen 
forward here in this in this new uh, century. Mm-hmm. We're still new. Twenty two years. That's all. Yeah. You know, and you know when you and I started Flash years ago, we thought two thousand. The year two thousand is so alien to us, and look where we are now. Right. And things things change every day for tradeswomen, and the network gets larger and larger. And when these women go to this conference, this isn't the last that they hear from each other. They form lifelong friendships across the country in Canada and keep in touch, you know, and they form small groups and you can almost feel the electricity about, you know, late May, early June. When can we register for trade women's build nations? Registration doesn't come out till second week of July or so. And they're already clamoring for the next conference and what we're going to have and what the subject matter will be. And each year it gets bigger and better. All good stuff. I love it. You know, let me uh, drive people to the uh, NABTU website. It's N-A-B-T-U dot O-R-G forward slash T-W-B-N. And uh, there's a lot of information posted right there. So those of you... Female gender I'm speaking to, um, if you want to get a recap of what happened in Las Vegas, what's the old line, what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas? That's not going to be the story here. <laughs> We're going to spread no. the good word of, of what happened in Vegas last weekend. Nab2.org forward slash TWBN. Gina, great job as usual. Gina Walsh, Deputy Director of the Heat and Frost Insulators, LMCT, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. You take care, stay safe, stay strong, and uh, let's talk again. Let's let's continue the good work of what happened at that conference, okay? All right. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Mike Nisley is head of the Ohio State Building Trades Council. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. 
The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union in there. All right, let's go to uh, Columbus, Ohio right now. And joining us on line number two is Mike Nisley, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Ohio State Building Trades Council. Website, real simple, ohiostatebuildingtrades.org, ohiostatebuildingtrades.org. You can follow them on Facebook and on Twitter, it's uh, Ohio Trades. Mike Nisley, every time, uh, well, we hear a lot from uh, Dorsey Hager, and he is telling me every time we have him on the show, there's something new popping up in central Ohio. And I think it's good news, but it also puts you in a bind, finding more and more workers cranking up those apprenticeship programs. Right now, how how would you assess things? I mean, it, it's got to be a daunting task, to say the least, right? Um, yeah, that's probably, you know, an understatement. But, you know, I, I will say this for the building trades. With the model that they have, and I call it the infrastructure that's in place, with the apprenticeship programs, the pre-apprenticeship programs, the outreach to the communities, the registered apprenticeship programs with the Department of Labor, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. And so they can uh, get people in and get them trained. It's just everything is compressed right now. And so everybody, it's all hands on deck. They're doubling and tripling their efforts. But I have all the faith in the world in the training uh, coordinators and uh, labor reps across the state. We're going to get, you know, through this. Um, and it's we're going to, at the end of the day, we're going to be better for the state of Ohio, for our owners, um, for everybody here. Man, if we can't do it, nobody can. There you go. Yeah, good answer to that. Right. You know, one of the big concerns right now is energy. Uh, we see what's happened at the at the pump with gas prices, heating oil, Natural gas has gone up, and I, I was reading recently there's a company called New Point Gas. They have announced the establishment of Trillium H2 power, hydrogen, hydrogen power. Can you share with us uh, what's going on here? And it sounds like this is a this plant will obviously be, be built by the trades, and it sounds pretty exciting. What's, what's the story here, Mike? Yeah, so New Point Gas, um, it's two brothers, um, Wiley and Zane Rhodes, uh, they have a history out in West Texas and New Mexico of doing hydrogen-type uh, projects, converting natural gas electrical generating plants into burning hydrogen as a fuel source. Um, they have approached us, oh, my God, over a year and a half ago uh, to do that type of plant uh, down in the Piketon um, area, uh, just north of Portsmouth, Ohio, south of Columbus, at the old atomic enrichment plant. And so um, myself and President Tim Berger from the AFL-CIO, as, long as, as well as others, have um, worked with them, including going to Washington to uh, get the Department of Labor or Department of Energy. I'm sorry, um, funding for this. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, they want to backfill Ohio's energy needs um, by burning hydrogen, and it really helps uh, the environment. Uh, it is a great fuel source and one that has been untapped. Uh, and so we are embracing this with our new partners, and they are 100% committed to doing this with all union uh, building trades members. So it's just the start of a long-term relationship. 
they're tapping in uh, to the President Biden's goal of reducing uh, the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a win-win for everybody, but a great group to work with. Uh, and we look forward to their success. Yeah, we're talking clean energy, hydrogen energy. And, and this is like 250 acres in Pike County. That's that's a stretch of property. So definitely yeah. good news. Definitely good news. Now, now let's switch to oil here. Okay. I was reading earlier about House Bill 235. This is called the High Hazard Training Certification Act. And uh, bottom line on this, it, it kind of turns things over to the government mandating that they hire 80 percent of the uh, contracted or subcontracted construction workers from apprenticeship programs. Sounds like a good deal to me, uh, but apparently these things aren't <laughs> aren't always going in the right direction. What, 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 can you give me your uh, give me the Mike Nisley view of, of what's going on here? So House Bill 235, uh, we've been working um, with that probably for the last 18 months or so. It just recently was voted uh, out of commerce and labor 10 to 1 uh, with huge Republican support. And so the next step is in the lame duck session. It'll go uh, to the House of Representatives. And then if it passes, it goes to the Senate. Uh, Naturally, our friends, and I say that tongue-in-cheek sometimes, of big oil are adamantly opposed to this bill. The, the funny thing about it is, number one, it does not increase any of the cost to um, the refineries. It actually uh, can help decrease their cost. It is actually supported by the Toledo refinery, PBF uh, Energy, wholeheartedly. So we have energy uh, industry uh, support. It's just large multinational corporations like Synovus and BP uh, are adamantly opposed uh, to this. You know, the bottom line on this is this bill, and once again, I can't stress stuff that adds zero cost to the owners, but it solidifies the safety programs and the expectations of the workers that come in there every day um, with these standards um, to keep not only themselves safe, but the community. I come from Lima, Ohio, which has a refinery right at the south end of town. And flash, when these things pop off, they're not um, like a, a hot water heater blowing up. They have devastating effects to the community. And so it's imperative that we pass this type of legislation so that we can keep um, not only ourselves safe and have some expectations on the workers coming in to do this type of work, whether it's construction, turnarounds, maintenance, but also to keep the community safe. It's just it actually blows my mind um, that a number of people can't get behind this uh, type of legislation. But it's much needed. I will tell you that. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. So so what's the problem here? There is a mandate here and there's 80 percent. And I have to ask you, where did the 80 percent come in? I mean, I would like 100 percent. But anyway, is this part of the compromise or what? Yeah, yeah it's a little bit of work on our part to show a good faith effort. Um, that we're willing to uh, move um, in a direction to get this thing uh, forward. Um, but it, it, once again, um, big oil, big corporations, and I don't think it's lost on anybody. Everybody, you know, is blaming President Biden and the Democrats and, you know, some Republicans for inflation. Um, big oil never loses, Flash. They are like bookies. Um, they never lose in the market. Even they're just not making as much money. Um, 
before. And now if you look at the past year with uh, record high inflation for heating, gasoline, we're all paying for it at the pump. I mean, you damn near cry um, when you're filling up. But nonetheless, they're the ones that are making out on this. And that's why it's just just so unbelievable um, that they would go against the benefit of the communities um, to keep them safe uh, at their, their profit expense. It, it really, uh, as you can tell, gets under my skin um, on this. Yeah, to your point, Mike, I mean, there's a lot in management that feel that workers are expendable. But uh, it's important, especially in a dangerous occupation like an oil refinery, you got to have safety protocols, and it's unfortunate. But the good news, you made a compromise. It's 80%. You got bipartisan support. So my last question here, you feel good moving forward? Do you think eventually this is going to pass? I, I think so. It's really going to come down to our legislators. I mean, this is a, a, a legislative-type action that has to happen in the House and goes to the Senate. But I have the utmost confidence in their leadership to when you look at a committee, uh, Commerce and Labor, that is bipartisan and uh, up to 13 people on that committee, but 11 that day showed up to vote and 10 to 1, it doesn't get any stronger signal than that, that um, the committee is supposed to over uh, or give a view of, of this thing. You look over it. Um, vote in strong support and sends to the next step. And we've talked to a number of legislators, um, both that have refineries in there and some that, that don't, but nonetheless, they uh, value both Democrats and Republicans alike value their uh, safety of, of constituents, uh, value the safety of the communities. They know it's, it's good to have that type of mechanism in place. So I feel good about it. I, I think we just kind of get past the elections. We go into lame duck. It's going to be a real short session. Um, but nonetheless, we're going to keep pushing. And if we don't get it in this session, we're going to tee it up in the next session, too. It's too uh, important for uh, communities like Canton and Lima and Toledo um, to not have this in place or any place in the United States. I live uh, flash seven miles downwind from a refinery in Lima, Ohio. And I, I can tell you, it, when it goes, it goes. So. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll keep our eye on it. Mike Nisley, president of the Ohio State Building Trades. You take care, stay safe. Let's talk down the road, okay, brother? Thanks again. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, I'm going to check in with the Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred, Fred Redman of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.